2: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: See website for details.
2: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
1: Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. Another bumper weekend of action with all 20 teams involved right the way across the last 48 hours. And here at FSD, we are covering it all. And in a week that has been dominated, let's face it, dominated by a certain man's return to Manchester, it's nice to be talking about some actual football. That is, until Mr Ronaldo actually sets foot back On Mancunian soil. So in the last show before we see United Red covering Ronaldo once again we'll look at how his new side slash old side actually got on this weekend. Mason Greenwood rescued a late late win to make sure that Ronaldo comes into a winning team. That's all to come on part one of the show and we're also going to be talking about Manchester City's demolition 5-0 at home again against Arsenal. Oof, that was a tough one for me to say. And in part two, we go over to Anfield, as 10-man Chelsea, they held out for a point on Merseyside and Spurs are the surprise table toppers. Harry Kane is back, but Song Hyung Min was the hero once again for a third straight successive 1-0 win. And then to wrap it up, in part three, we'll be dropping in on all the other action this weekend as there was big wins for Brighton, and for Brendan Rodgers and Leicester City right then my name's Fergal Brennan, and joining me tonight we have Ronaldo I don't even know how to t- say this we have a Ronaldo zealot Manchester United fan and broadcaster our <laughs> kid, aka Dave Scott Dave how's things
2: uh, absolutely, well if you'd asked me on Friday I was absolutely over the moon I've come down a little bit So I'm I'm still in orbit But uh, you know, uh, after the Wolves game today But yeah, fantastic mate I think uh, the future looks brighter than it did uh, When there was rumours he was going to Man City So all good over there mate
1: uh, And someone who's probably a little bit less excited than Dave About Ronaldo's return to Manchester We have Goal.com's Manchester City correspondent Jonathan Smith Jonathan, are you in orbit? Are you in Ronaldo territory? What's your view on it all? I'm
0: happy I'm happy that the whole situation is over and done with it. It's an absolutely <laughs> crazy 48 hours, one minute is going to city, one minute is going to United and yeah, it was it was a bit of a whirlwind end of the week. Um, so it was nice to get into the weekend and watch a bit of football.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think anybody involved with City or United that was covering this story probably had about two or three hours sleep over the weekend. So we all know now that it's done and dusted. He hasn't yeah. quite arrived back in the country, but Ronaldo will be back at Manchester United. And because he's not there just yet, they've been bumped into part two. So Dave, hold your horses. We're going to be talking about them in the second part. Man City, that's where we get ourselves kicked off. 5 0 win. Jonathan, this is becoming pretty ordinary for City. 5-0 last weekend against Norwich and now another team that could potentially be battling relegation this season, Arsenal, 5-0 again. City i have got absolutely no sympathy. If you're down in the relegation zone, they'll stick five by you and if they can stick ten by you, they will.
0: Well, if you say that, I felt like they sort of declared a little bit yesterday. I think, obviously, Mikel Arteta has got a lot of friends at the club and I think perhaps they took it a little bit easier on them when with Xhaka sent off 3-0 down you know it could have been 6-7-8-0 I mean Arsenal sat back and you know to just tried to tried to keep it as low as as possible but yeah if they'd have really really gone for it it could have been a horrific well it was a horrific day for our testers as it was but it could have been even worse
1: and given the fact, obviously, the situation now, Ronaldo, we know, is going to United. Harry Kane is, is staying at Tottenham. That means that Manchester City's two or reported two targets to come in and beef up their attacking options are now not going to be going to the Etihad. It's a very strange situation. We said this on last week's show, 5-0 win, but still the elephant in the room is... Are City going to sign somebody to play that role? Despite the goals flowing, Ferran Torres got himself another two yesterday as a kind of false nine or someone that was looking to dip in and out of the box. We've got about two, three days between now and the end of the transfer window. Jonathan, you cover City a lot. You're having conversations with people connected to the club. Is this the end of it? Are they going to dip back into the market? Is there a plan C after Kane or Ronaldo? Or is this it? Are are Man City now set for the rest of the season?
0: Yeah, so from what I'm being told, it's very, very unlikely that they're going to sign anyone before the window closes. They were all in for Harry Kane. There was a, a confidence that a deal could be done, obviously. Yeah, it didn't turn out that way. Tottenham, notoriously difficult to negotiate with. I, I think from from what I understand, I think everyone went into the window a little uncertain of how it would play out in terms of uh, the money side of things because obviously the, the pandemic has hit football finances quite severely. Um, a lot of clubs particularly in Europe uh, don't have much money that's why we're not seeing Barcelona and Juventus and clubs like that spending a lot of money obviously uh, PSG can ride it out uh, a little bit easier than other clubs um, so I think there was a bit of a feeling that the market might be a bit slower at, at the start of the summer but as we've moved on um, you know the prices have gone up and up and up You know I think you go back to perhaps United signing Jadon Sancho and that. But it's possibly a bit of a bargain now, because we're getting back into the into the realms of figures we were expecting. And obviously, a hundred million was the bid for for Kane. It was turned down. They wanted more. You know, he's twenty eight, and, and I don't think City were prepared to go too high for him. Uh, Ronaldo presented itself as an opportunity. He wanted out of uh, Juventus. It was talked about and they obviously didn't happen in the end um you know, they weren't keen on paying a transfer fee so we are going to two days away from the transfer window closing and there is no striker um yeah i don't think we can learn too much about city without a striker again in games against norwich and arsenal because they're so well drilled they've got so many attacking options they they can win those games comfortably without a, a straightforward number nine it's, It's the other games where they're going to be really tested where chances are fewer and far between when you need that hit, man. And, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. You know, they they survived last season. Obviously won, won the league, got to the Champions League final. Can they do it again? It's a huge test for Guardiola.
1: And obviously looking at the situation, now we know, no Kane, no Ronaldo. Is Pep happy with this or is this just a, a stick in plaster? We know that Kane was obviously the objective. Tottenham, as you mentioned, are notoriously difficult to deal with, particularly when you're looking to maybe bring an asking price down even slightly. Guardiola is he being kind of shoehorned into this situation because certain targets were not able to be uh, brought into the club, or is he is he genuinely happy? Is he confident that Torres, Sterling, Mahrez, and and obviously Grealish now thrown into the mix have got the firepower to make sure City are where he wants them to be?
0: Yeah, he wants a striker. There's no doubt about that. But he wants a top striker. You know, you look at the squad, and it's just filled with top. You know, that the best quality players. Around and um, there aren't many strikers like that on the market. Obviously, Lukaku has gone to Chelsea, and um, Mbappe looks like he's going to Real Madrid. Kane stays, and there's just not too many more around that are available. You know, Lewandowski not going anywhere. Um, you know, Liverpool strikers are out of the question. So you know, basically, you know, you're looking at Haaland as as maybe one for next summer. Um, you know, it's going to be a bit of a race to, to get his his signature. He obviously wasn't going to move this summer. So, yeah, I think, he, I think it was a question of, you know, what are the options? We, we go and get a, a really good striker, we want Kane, um, and it didn't happen. And then you sort of go through the list and say, right, you know, option two, three, four, uh, however far down the list, are unavailable, and are City better off, you know, paying, paying £30 million for an average striker or going in with the system that worked well last season with, you know, Raheem Sterling, Ferran Torres, filling that role. You know, Ferran Torres, is, he's getting better and better. He's had that one season under Pep. You know, we've obviously seen in the past certain players take a year to bed in under his tactics. He's getting better. He had a good, good Euros. He knows how to score goals. He's not, a, he's not a striker. He wasn't brought in as a striker. He was brought in as a winger. Mm. But, you know, you see Gabriel Jesus is... is kind of being more successful as a winger so he has got options he's not got the striker he wants but he has got options and and it's still he's got enough to challenge for the, for the trophies that he wants
1: Looking across to Arsenal, David, I was genuinely almost choking on my words in the intro there because looking at this as an Arsenal fan, it is grim, grim reading. It's the worst start to a top-flight season since the 1940s. Bottom of the table at the end of the weekend, going into the international break. Three straight defeats to start the season. It doesn't get any worse. And when you look at this result, away at City is always going to be a difficult situation to go into. But Arsenal have now lost their last six games at the Etihad, with... In reality, without even really laying a glove on Pep, on City, and you look at some of those numbers then when you push that across to Liverpool and going into Anfield, bad few years at Old Trafford. The type of performance that Arsenal turned in yesterday, with Shaka's red card being the cherry on top of the cake, this could have been picked up and put back 18 months, 2 years, 3 years, whether it was the last couple of years of Arsene Wenger, whether it was Unai Emery, or now with Mikel Arteta. These issues that have run right the way through Arsenal Football Club have not changed. The only danger now with Arteta at the helm is that they're actually regressing at a much faster rate.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I have a certain level of uh, sort of sympathy or, or empathy with uh, Mikel Arteta because whilst he might not be the, the right man for the job, it's, it's not his whole doing why you're in this position. This hmm. has been happening... From the Wenger days, and you know later in Wenger's career, because I think from then you were going, you were challenged for the top four, and then you were a top six club. And let's be honest, the way you finished last season and where you are to your competitors, Arsenal are now, which many Arsenal fans might not like, are a mid-table club. And when mid-table yeah. clubs don't start the league well, they find themselves in the relegation zone. But where it's not, it's not, it's the team, the manager, the owners. You know, it's, it's a complete mess. But it's been a long time coming, and it's about For me, I think it's inevitable that Arteta will go. But I don't think that it's a solution that you'll be a fix when you get a new manager in because I don't see who you actually get in. You're not going to get a top European manager and a lot of Arsenal fans are talking about getting Conte in, but Conte is a bit of a power freak when he comes to clubs. He'll want money to spend. He'll want his own players in there. I don't think Arsenal have got the budget or the want to go out and spend the sort of money that, that he'll want. And the thing is, if Arsenal fans or if Arsenal club have the... The desire to get back of your, your days of glory that you had under Wenger, you need to spend serious money because Arsenal remind me nowadays of what Man City were like before uh, before they were bought out um, by the uh, by Abu Dhabi. And I think for you to get back up, you've got to start investing into your team the way that City were back then, and you need to buy either Galacticos and Merstrum is. But are Arsenal really gonna gonna spend the money to do that?
1: No, I, I mean. I've got to admire you, Dave, kind of Jay Motti-esque there. You're managing to get two insults in one sentence. You managed to have a pop at Arsenal and at City. That's that's quite impressive going. <laughs> but I can but based on the result yesterday, I absolutely I absolutely uh I absolutely can't argue with you. But given the fact obviously as a United fan, you know, what it is like to an extent being in this position obviously United have got a much richer and a much longer history of dominating in the Premier League than Arsenal do but there has been a drop down in the post-Wenger and in the post-Ferguson era for, for both teams. United obviously rebuilding much better and much faster but United haven't had these days. There's obviously been big defeats to City and been one or two bad results away at Anfield but What I wanted to ask you, from from a United point of view, this is what I think is frustrating and angering a lot of Arsenal fans. They look at United and go, they've had bad times, they've had to rebuild. But they don't go away and just get murdered by City, by Liverpool, by whoever. There has obviously been difficult results and and things that United fans have had to choke down in the last couple of seasons. But why is it that Arsenal are in this position when they are rebuilding, that they're so susceptible to just... Absolutely dissolving in a big game, whereas United are, are not quite in that position? I don't know. I, I'd, I'd
2: love to know the answer because I think that. The answer to that is the reason why Solskjaer's remained in the job as long as he has because if you look at Solskjaer's results against the the bigger teams obviously his record over pet's pretty good and uh and Klopp, uh, and Klopp likewise uh, so see we, we seem to be able to turn up against them but it's the results against the when we're dropping against burnley or the sheffield united game last season where where, where we fall off um but i don't think we're, we're the finished article but i don't think that if United were in the position that Arsenal are in, I don't think that United fans would be calling for the head of Oli Solskjaer in the way that I see as many Arsenal fans calling for the for Arteta to get the chopper. I, I, I really don't. It's just bizarre. So I've the loyalty that we have uh, behind Solskjaer.
1: Um, Quickly, before we move on to Liverpool-Chelsea, Jonathan, I want to ask you about the situation with Arteta. Transfers, obviously, he has been back this summer, whether that's the board looking to protect themselves if they do eventually get rid of him. £156 has been spent so far. That's more than Arsenal have ever spent in, in one transfer window. But there is this strong, strong feeling that Arteta is on... On the clock now he's being watched after the international break is Norwich who are arguably the only other team that have been worse than Arsenal so far this season do you get the impression that it is only a matter of time or do you think based on the amount of money that's been given to him this summer the board can't just cut their ties with him
0: I think there's a will for him to succeed I think they believe in what he's trying to do he's trying to play football he's brought in players like Udegaard he's given Smithrow a chance I think they they see themselves going back to the Arsenal way of playing things with a bit of style, a bit of swagger. And obviously, you know, it's interesting after the game, Pep talking about Arteta. They're obviously friends from the time at, uh, at the Etihad. But there was a belief within, you know, at City that there were, Arteta was a potential successor to Guardiola when he leaves. Um, so, I you know, I think everyone wants him to succeed, but... It's one of those where it, every time you lose, it just ramps up, ramps up, and now suddenly that Norwich game is a big pressure game, and there's a lot of players in the Arsenal squad who just don't respond to pressure; they just buckle. And you know, if they were to lose to that Norwich game, if they were sorry, if they were to lose against Norwich, to then go to Burnley away from home, which is you know is obviously not going to be, they're, they're going to get right stuck into them. Then you've got the North London derby, and suddenly you know. You, if they haven't got kind of six points or you know four, five, six points and by the end of those it's, it's, it's going to be really difficult. The pressure's going to really mount on him and you know the, the press, the, the fans, everyone is going to be saying how long has he got?
1: Yeah, I agree. I just I just get the sense as you say that unless we get a slew of points on the board next month, I, I honestly think Arteta could be gone before way before Christmas. But obviously on the other side of the international break, things could turn themselves around. Right, we're gonna flick across to Liverpool against Chelsea. One all Dave on the day. But the big talking point was a red card for Reese James in added time at the end of the first half. Chelsea with a better side before the break, getting the lead through Kai Havertz. Brilliant looped little header. But Reese James, as I say, red card. There was a long, long VAR check by Anthony Taylor. He eventually gets the red, off he goes, and Mo Salah bangs in the penalty. Now, before we talk about the performances, I want to talk about the handball, because all the time, whenever there's a handball and there's a VAR situation, Twitter and social media absolutely explodes. And you start to see people's kind of proxy alliances where people were kind of backing James because they didn't want to see Liverpool get a positive result, etc, etc, etc. But when you look at the situation on its own, he does handle the ball. He does move his arm towards the ball then the referee has to make the decision in terms of the red card. When you package it all together, a handball, a penalty, and a red card, is it a fair decision? Or has Anthony Taylor maybe gone a bit too far?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I when I saw it, I, did, I didn't think of a handball because I thought that it was just like, a, his hand was in a natural position and he couldn't really get out of the way. Uh, but I know that the, the referee and the VAR team uh, looked at it just as a still image. And I know that's what the Chelsea manager was very upset about but it just the ruling just seems a little bit unfair that you are going to lose a player and you're going to get a a goal get a penalty against you it it just seems like a double punishment i'm not too sure what else reese james could have done i I know his hand touches the ball but it's that quick i think your natural body reaction you've Mm. got to be quite a a, you know quite a firm (laughs) person to not not want to put your arm out in that position
1: I think when you look at, as you say, Jonathan, Dave mentioned that when you look at it as a still image, it's a completely different situation than a video when you're watching it live, when you're watching the natural movement of the arm and as the ball approaches him in the situation. But the referees this season have been given a new interpretation of looking at handballs and how to interpret what is intentional, what is accidental, what is a ricochet, what's a deflection, and it again rather than making referees jobs easier it's actually making it more difficult for the likes of taylor and other premier league um referees to make this type of decision and obviously huge amounts of pressure he had the liverpool fans screaming at him to give the penalty i think the bigger issue or the wider issue that Tuchel brought up at the end was the red card and this is where a lot of fans are becoming confused and annoyed is that the double jeopardy idea you can give the penalty because a goal or a goal scoring opportunity has been denied but to send off a player, you've completely changed the game and completely decimated Chelsea's chances of holding on to that lead and winning it.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we it, we kind of got rid of it, didn't we? For for fouls that you, if it was a, if you were going for the ball that you, you don't get a red card, um, and then we, yeah, if we've got this sort of rule where if you're not going for the ball, if you're just trying to take out the man, that it, you, you can still be sent off. But I completely agree; it ruins the game. You know. You know, like David's saying, what, what else could he do? It's a natural reaction mm. to do that. You know, I, th- I feel like it has to be a penalty because he's, he's stopped the ball going over the line because he's mm. used his, a part of his body which he can't use. So I, I I just feel that every season, the more we try and nail down the rules, the harder and harder it becomes because it's just everywhere. You know, how many times have you gone to a football match where you see something you've never, ever seen before and, you, and it's not in the laws of the game? it it's it's very difficult to say right this this is black and white and you know we've got i felt last season it was a right mess with the var in terms of the offside it, you know it wasn't great it wasn't it wasn't a great spectacle it didn't add to it um i think maybe we they've, they've started to ease up a, a bit on some of those things we've seen some of the fouls aren't being given now which i think is probably a good thing they're giving a little bit more common sense to referees I think I think you give more trust to referees, and you get a better game. That's the way I see it. But I, I understand when these things happen, and people say, "Well, there's no rule, law covering this," or you know, it's it is, it, it's a very difficult game to <laughs> to bring into into rules over certain situations. And that's probably one of them where we can get it right. I think.
1: Uh, looking at the performance itself, Dave, in terms of gauging, Chelsea obviously got rightly praised at the end because the second 45, Tuchel and his players, their hands were essentially tied. They had to batten down the hatches, stay organised, stay structured and make sure that the Liverpool didn't get a goal. Liverpool were given a golden opportunity here. 45 minutes against 10 men. Yes, it is Chelsea, but you're at home at Anfield and you've got an entire half to get a goal. And one of the big standouts for me in the second 45 was just two shots on target for Liverpool and both of them from defenders, Andy Robertson and Virgil van Dijk, Edouard Mendy, keeping them out on both occasions and when you've got an attack of Salah, Mane, Jota who came on, Harvey Elliott who's been impressive so far this season, you would expect a bit more and Liverpool at the start of the campaign, a lot of the narrative around them has been Van Dijk's back, Gomez is back, Henderson is fit again. There's not been an enormous amount of transfer movement. Obviously, Canate's come in to give them another another number at, at centre-back. But the assumption is, well, with all these players back, Liverpool will be absolutely fine. They'll be right back into the title race. But speaking to a couple of Liverpool fans yesterday, and they're not nearly as confident because they think that this assumption of, well, we won it in 2020 with these players, we'll just do exactly that again and we'll have enough for Man City to make sure we win the league. Based on these types of performances, when you need your Salas and your Mane's to step up and get a goal, the jigsaw's not exactly complete from Liverpool so far this season.
2: Yeah, I mean, I could understand the the frustrations and that train of thought that Liverpool may need to uh, add more strength and depth in the team for goal scoring. But I think you need to give credit to to Chelsea and Tuchel in the way that he set up after the um, after G- James got sent off because I thought they were absolutely fantastic at the back. The way they restructured, Rudiger was playing a bit like a I don't know Franco Baresi, and it was, it was amazing <laughs> the sort of performances that they put out. But I can understand the fr- the frustrations. But it was. I mean, it was very much a game of two hours, but I think if Chelsea had stayed with 11 men throughout, then I think they could have gone on to, to win the game. And obviously they wouldn't have got the penalty um, and, and the goal from there. But yeah, I can understand the, the frustration for Liverpool fans. I do think they need to maybe sign a few more players, but it's weird and it? it's a bit like Man City. Can they go again with that full strength team? And we'll only know that when we get later on in the
1: season. And Jonathan, looking at Chelsea, obviously measuring who won most from this uh, at the end of the game, it definitely was Chelsea, a point apiece, but it's a good point for Chelsea, whereas you might say it's a bad point for Liverpool based on the fact they had a a man advantage for the majority of the match. And Thomas Tuchel will be pleased, obviously the way they just kind of sat in, stayed organised and make sure that Liverpool were frustrated. And Dave makes an interesting point there. We can never obviously gauge how a game would have gone in in a hypothetical situation, but Chelsea with a better side in the first 45 minutes, Kai Havertz gets them in front, Mason Mount, Romelu Lukaku, both had chances to to make it two or even three nil. You did get the sense that obviously, if you remove the James sending off, Chelsea looked really, really comfortable, and Liverpool only really got themselves with even the chance of getting back into it after James was sent off.
0: Yeah, I think Chelsea are looking very awesome actually from from the way they started the season. I don't think perhaps we can't read too much into the last into the first three games of the season, but. The strength of their squad, I think they've got everything. I think they've probably got a little bit more than everyone in the Premier League this season. They've got a, they've got a really good manager. They've now got a striker finishing everything off. They've got creativity in midfield, um, and like David was saying, that the de- defense um, is very very strong. And to think that Lampard almost let Rudiger go seems absolutely crazy. Now he, he's he's fantastic. Uh, the the leadership of Thiago Silva. Um I think you've got obviously Kante and Jorginho in midfield. Yeah, it's just they've got so many options. Um yeah, they they look scary. They look they look better than Liverpool. And uh, I think they possibly are gonna be the team to stop this year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think Chelsea are kind of happy in the position that they are where so much of the conversation is surrounding surrounding Liverpool and obviously City defending their title. And Tuchel, as we all know, likes to be an underdog in this type of a situation. Right, we're going to take a quick break. We've covered Manchester City, Arsenal, unfortunately for me, obviously, as well as Liverpool and Chelsea. After the break, it's Dave's Manchester United, 1-0 win away at Wolves. And we're also going to be talking about Harry Kane. He's back in the Tottenham team and Tottenham, our top of the league. We're going to be talking about all of that in just a second.
2: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. Before the break, it was Man City and Arsenal and also that ding-dong of a clash at Anfield as 10-man Chelsea secured a one-all draw against Liverpool. Right, Manchester United against Wolves. Dave, before we talk about the actual game and what went on, we'll give you 30 to 60 seconds on Ronaldo. Any United fan, I think, for the next 48 hours is allowed a little block to just talk about Ronaldo. We know that he's coming back. He's not quite back in Manchester just yet. We don't know when he's going to make his debut, but we know that the deal is done. So I've got to ask you, by a kind of contractual situation that we have with any United fan at the moment, what is your reaction to Ronaldo back in red?
2: absolutely ecstatic mate uh, when, when I got the news that it's he, he, finally over the line I was beaming uh, it was a date night for me and Mrs Scott on Friday and you should have seen her face as I sat in a Turkish restaurant just on Twitter looking at videos of Ronaldo all night absolutely over the moon and I understand the sort of sort of scepticism that comes from anyone that isn't a United fan but for us we've had the well it's not been as bad as Arsenal sorry Fergal but we've had some really bad years <laughs> uh, post Ferguson uh, so this was just how, however it ends it's just been it's been such a, it's just a, a roller coaster of emotions from Friday and I just think I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic that we'll go on and I think we'll probably get a decent chance at a cup can we get in the league I don't know I'll probably tell you more about that when we ask about the performance against Wolves
1: uh, okay let's pick up the Wolves game because it wasn't a particularly impressive performance if Ronaldo was watching he might be seeing exactly where he's planned on helping and how he's going to boost Solskjaer's side because on the balance of the game United kind of Got away with one a little bit. Three points in the bag at the end. Mason Greenwood getting himself another goal so far this season. But Wolves are the better side for at least 60, 70 minutes Someone that I want to talk about, as well as Greenwood, I'm going to touch on Greenwood with Jonathan, but for you, Dave, is is David De Gea. We know that he's been through the ringer at United over the last couple of years, and from the level that he was at, where he was one of the best keepers in the world, obviously the famous fax machine breaking story and potentially going back to Madrid and signing for Real Madrid, issues that he's then had with confidence, with injuries, Dean Henderson coming in. What we've actually seen so far this season is the old David De Gea. The David De Gea that exists almost like a Russian doll inside David De Gea. The saves that he made today, one particular absolute world-class one from, from Roman size to keep United in the match. How important is he? If you can get a world-class David De Gea back in the team, for me, the Dean Henderson conversation is over. Slowly but surely, De Gea seems to be getting back on track.
2: Yeah, I mean I I don't think Dean Anderson I've uh, actually had it to go toe to toe with a uh with a fully on-form De Gea. Uh, but for, for me, it's like that old saying, uh, steel sharpens steel. And if you look at the defenders that De Gea's had in front of him over the last few years, and they, OK, he's made mistakes, but you know confidence breeds confidence, doesn't it? And now if you've got like the likes of Maguire and Varane, Luke Shaw's playing sensational, and hopefully that, that spreads all the way through the team. But it, him on his day, he's still one of the best goalkeepers in the world for me. And again, today, he, he, he's shown that uh, when he is fully confident, then I, I don't think there's a better keeper the planet
1: Mason Greenwood uh, Jonathan another impressive performance for him and, and for me looking at this from a neutral perspective obviously I'm not a United fan I cannot stop being impressed by him, everything he does, the goals he scores, the movement, and particularly in a a situation like this, Manchester United have just signed Cristiano Ronaldo, he's coming back, he's going to go straight into that team, United have Cavani, Dan James, Marcus Rashford when he gets back fit, they've just spent a huge fee to bring Jadon Sancho to the club, yet Greenwood just shakes it off, keeps doing what he does best, and despite the fact that United barely had a kick for 60-70 minutes of this game, one chance one goal and it's greenwood again
0: yeah he's the real deal he's absolutely fantastic um the power he gets into his shots is you know he just he just needs a yard and then all of a sudden he just smacked it and he I you know I, I, the keeper there's a couple of questions on TV about the keeper whether he should have saved it it's a lot of it's to do with the power that he just gets into those shots and he just just past the keeper before they've really reacted to it um yeah it's interesting to see the way he goes um, I mean, I would compare him to the to Phil Foden. Obviously, at City, I think two of the two the two are the most exciting players in England, and can really push. You know, they are world class stars. Those two, if they keep developing and, and like, but obviously, it's going to be interesting how United play it with at City. Pep took his time with Foden when all the people were saying he should be in the side, or whatever. He took his time, slowly integrated him into the system. Uh, and now you see him—he's a you know completely fully developed player. Um, I, Greenwood, I—I I, I would like to see the same thing happen at United a little bit, take in and out of the side a bit. Obviously now, Ollie has got those options. Um, you know, I—I I, I don't think it would be beneficial to have him playing 50-60 games this season and having twenty game—you know, having a ten game streak where he doesn't score any goals. I don't think that's going to do him any good. Just, just just take it gently he's got Ronaldo there now to learn from Um, yeah he can go he can go right to the very very top
1: yeah, I agree. And, and Dave's turned his camera off here, so I'm just going to assume that he's beaming about this Greenwood loving. And I'd throw my two pence in on this because, as you say, he, he is the real deal. Every time you watch him, he's so, so impressive. And I've been trying to think of, of someone to compare him to in terms of a Premier League striker. And for me, he's the best English striker in that type of a mould since Owen. He honestly is. I think Rooney was a very different type of striker. I even think Rashford is a is a different type of striker. But for me, Greenwood, sub-21, it's only Ansu Fati at Barcelona these comparable to. I would honestly go as far as to say Owen, and I'm talking early Liverpool Owen, in late 1990s early noughties Mason Greenwood is as good I think his ceiling is as high as he wants to be and, and we talk about pressure and situations that young players find themselves in next week Cristiano Ronaldo is going to be turning up at Manchester United and Mason Greenwood is still backing himself to make sure he's in that team with Rashford with Sancho with Ronaldo Dan James Mason Greenwood just says bring him on I'll keep scoring goals and I will keep my place in the team I think he's absolutely Brilliant. Right, from a striker who is still learning his game and catching the eye to one who is firmly established. Harry Kane, Dave, is back in the Tottenham team. His first Premier League start this weekend and another win and another 1 0 win. Uh, If it ain't broke, don't fix it, you might be saying for Nuno Santo because Tottenham are top of the league. We talked about City and Liverpool and Chelsea and and who's going to be in the title shake up. I still don't think anyone is thinking of Spurs being in that conversation, but. Given the fact that Nuno Santos has had to handle this whirlwind of transfer speculation and Kane staying and Kane leaving, the fact that he's just come in, quietly gone about his business, Tottenham have won three out of three, they're top of the league, they haven't conceded a goal so far this season, it couldn't really have gone better for them on the pitch, even if all the noise surrounding Kane has been a distracting factor.
2: Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect this, would you? I think when everyone sort of heard all the circus that was going around Harry Kane before the season started and he didn't turn up for training, you wouldn't be um, wrong thinking that Spurs might get off to a bad start and that would be the reason behind it. But not only, you're rightly in saying that they've quietly gone about the business. Nine points, three clean sheets and Harry Kane staying put on the top of the table. It must be really hard viewing for you Arsenal fans. I think it's the first time in the history <laughs> of the league where, where this has happened, isn't it? I, th- I, think, I think, Fergal. But yeah, I mean... <laughs> They're not going to win the league, but uh, it's, a, it's, a fantastic, it's a fantastic start for them. I've, I've been quite um, quite impressed with Deli Alli. Uh, I think Nuno's playing him now in this sort of box-to-box midfielder role, which he seems to be really enjoying. Uh, there was rumours of him obviously leaving under Jose Mourinho, and he seems to have got a new lease of life. Uh, but Spurs, yeah, really good. And the uh, sun yesterday, has always seems to be the... He's always been in Harry Kane's shadow and one of the things that I was always interested in if Kane was going to leave was was son was going to be come to the to the forefront and uh, and take over the shooting boots but uh, Kane's son and Deli Alli are, are all firing like they have uh, in, in the past maybe under the Pochettino days who knows they'll probably finish they'll, they'll probably do a title challenge or fall off and be very spursy
1: but you know it's a, good, it's a good start for them. And looking at the situation Jonathan with Nuno Santo and Kane they now have to manage the kind of Live with each other, still get results, still win games for, for the for the season to come. Kane has obviously now confirmed that he's staying. The interest in City is now over. We all know that it's a little bit of a marriage of convenience. Kane is probably going to be in the same position next summer where he is looking to leave. City possibly, probably will be in the market again to sign him. And Nuno Santo now has to manage this situation. He can't appear weak. In relation to harry kane he knows that harry kane wanted to leave and probably still wants to leave if there was to be some ridiculous late uh, u-turn in the transfer window but he also can't drop him we know that son as dave mentioned has looked good so far this season lucas mora Stephen Bergvine, deli ali is, is coming back to the fore and and showing some of the the old form that we we recognize with him harry kane is too important to there even be a consideration that he'd be dropped from this tottenham team but Nuno still has to balance the fact that it can't be about Kane. Their season can't be dominated by Harry Kane. How does he manage to do that without upsetting other aspects within his squad?
0: Yeah, I don't think Harry Kane will be too much of a problem, to be honest. Um, I think you know the decision was made a few days before the window closed. I think, and that kind of drew a line under it. Um, you know, Harry. It's not in Harry Kane's interest to mope around. He still, you know, throughout it all He was still committed to, to Spurs he wanted to, he wanted to leave But in the same way that Jack Grealish sort of You know, wanted City um, You know, he, d- he didn't necessarily want to leave Villa He just wanted to join City If that makes sense um, mm. so, so now Kane staying I don't, I, I don't see him being a disruptive influence in the dressing room I mean, the, the only thing I would say is that I, I'm not sure if his if his time has passed now um he's going to be 29 next summer uh i'm not sure if city are going to go back for him um he's still he'll still have 2 years left on his contract so he's still going to cost a lot of money a year older a, a year another season in those ankles um i think he might have to resign himself that it's he's he, he's going to be at spurs for at least 2 seasons
1: That's an interesting point, Dave, that that Jonathan makes about Kane. This summer, everything seemed to be rowing in that direction. All signs seemed to be pointing to, to City getting Kane or at least running it really, really close. And obviously, Spurs have stood firm. Players do have these sliding doors moments in their career. If a big move comes off, it can go in one direction. If it doesn't, you can maybe stagnate and just have to kind of settle. Kane has set his stall out. He wanted to leave Tottenham. He doesn't believe that Tottenham are going to match his ambitions. If we're in a situation this time next summer and City don't come in, his stance on Tottenham is not going to have changed. He still believes that they're not going to match his ambitions of winning the Premier League, winning the Champions League. Could we now be seeing a situation with Kane where, for want of a better word, he does have to settle for now and probably up until the end of his career?
2: Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to have to go... I know a lot of Spurs fans were, were obviously happy with him staying at the club, even though he didn't want to be there. So he's gonna to have to go somewhere to try and sort of, I don't know, repolish his legacy at the club. But for me, I think that I think that move to City's past, and I don't know where he goes, because uh, I think Man City will probably go to ha- for Haaland afterwards. But surely, if he doesn't think Spurs are good enough, then he, he, he's the captain of the club. He, he should you know, he should use it as his, his impetus to make sure that they do win something. He's their, he's their leading goal scorer, their talisman. You've got to take that team by the scruff of the neck now. They've obviously got a good manager in Nuno. They've started well. Use the fact that he didn't go to City and make sure that your club can win trophies
1: yeah definitely a big 12 months to come for harry kane at tottenham jonathan before we take a quick break just want to look at watford obviously disappointed to find themselves on the end of a one nil defeat for them today good start for them winning on the opening day but it's been back down to earth with a bit of a bump for Cisco and his team and it's always difficult for newly promoted sides particularly early on they want to get points on the board but we're going to talk about Brentford in part three Watford will be looking at Brentford and thinking they've maybe not been as enterprising or as exciting as us but they're in a much more solid position after the first three weeks of the campaign
0: yeah it's it's going to be a weird season I think because I think there are some pretty poor sides actually at the bottom who we are going to struggle for victories so i think you know three points are going to be a, uh, an absolute premium so they, they started the season well with that um you know the win over villa so i don't think they could be too disheartened with the way it's way it's gone spurs away it's not not an easy game so i think they've got they've got some things in there that they can get excited about um it's you know if they finish the season in 17th they'll be more than happy with that and I see them as, as having a chance from, from the early start of the season.
1: Yeah, plenty to come. And I just want Cisco to stay in the league because there hasn't been a manager with as good a name as Cisco. Long live Cisco, that's my message. Right, we're going to take a quick break here on the Football Social Daily Weekend Review Show. Don't go anywhere because after the break, we're going to be wrapping up the rest of the action. Six games to come, another win for Rafa, and Brendan Rodgers has got Leicester back on the winning track. We'll be back in just a second.
2: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport
1: at sport-social.co.uk Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never
2: miss an episode.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. Just a quick reminder, with the Premier League firmly back up and running at full speed here at FSD Towers, we are back in business as well. That means a podcast every single day, seven days a week. We are here with the latest takes on the English top flight. If you click subscribe now on this episode, you can get a brand new podcast as soon as it is ready. Right, we're gonna run around the grounds for the last six games this weekend as I mentioned before the break big win for Rafa Benitez and Everton Dave I'm going to throw this one over to you Rafa Benitez coming back to Merseyside albeit on the blue half this time round there's going to be so many eyes on him so much criticism but it's been a very solid start seven points from three games two nil win away from home at Brighton yesterday and Nobody expects him to reinvent the wheel or or kind of try and change fundamentally what Everton did under Carlo Ancelotti last season. It is relatively straightforward. Good wingers in Damari Gray and Andros Townsend looking to give pace and looking to get crosses into the box and Dominic Calvert-Lewin finishing them off. And whilst it might be maybe a little bit of a throwback, bit of a kind of almost 1990s Premier League style, it's working, Everton are getting results and the pressure is easing on Rafa.
2: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I've got a lot of friends that are Everton fans who were furious, obviously, because of the, the Liverpool connection when he, when he signed as a manager for Everton. Uh, but yeah, and, he, and he's one of them, He's starting to win them over. I thought Alan was great yesterday and was composing the game throughout for Everton. And I don't think you should. Yeah, it's a great result because Brighton have started the, this season really well with the football that they've played. And you may say it's throwback football, but there's points on the table, which is the main, most important thing.
1: And obviously when you look at these types of performances, Jonathan Brighton kind of, there's always this conversation with Graham Potter about that they played nice football and he kind of held his hands up in his post-match interview and just said, Everton got their tactics right. I got certain things wrong. You know, we weren't as clinical as we should have been. Brighton are still okay, but the kind of hangover of questions from last season, which refers to, can they win these types of games? It's all well and good going to to Anfield and winning matches and, and looking to put it up to United or City. They do need to be getting points in these types of games. If they want to move themselves up the Premier League ladder,
0: yeah, I still think it's a very enjoyable time to be a Brighton fan. I would have thought, you know, I I can remember twenty years ago watching them in the in the fourth tier. um, They've obviously worked their way back, and and they play some great stuff in the Premier League. Um, You know, I go back to the to the sort of Chris Hutton days of uh, a couple of seasons ago, and they were they were hanging on for dear life. Look, they're not gonna they're not gonna challenge for the European places this season but he's building something there Uh, yeah it's a step back to lose a game like that to Everton but I just feel like they're making progress all the time and yeah if they could get a striker um, you know it's going to get even more exciting but you know I think think everyone enjoys watching Brighton and like I said earlier I think there's some poor teams and there's some teams that are in a lot bigger trouble than Brighton this year
1: uh, a win for Everton but also a win for Leicester this weekend Dave difficult kind of performance for them on Monday night they lost to West Ham and just didn't really get into gear going away to Norwich is almost a perfect confidence boosting for some, someone like Leicester when they're looking to to get themselves back in the saddle and it was some of the old old gunslingers from the title winning team Jamie Vardy who just seems evergreen he looks like he could go on forever and Mark Albright and got himself the winner Rodgers has brought in players this summer, Somari and Dakar who've come in and there's a lot of excitement around them, but it's very relieving for Rodgers to know that if there's a problem, if they need to kind of almost ghostbusters it, who you're going to call, they've still got Vardy, Albright, and they've still got so much experience and quality that can win them these games if maybe the new lads haven't quite got up to speed just yet.
2: Yeah, it's going to take time to, to bed in the new lads uh, under Brendan Rodgers. I just love the image of uh, Mark Albrighton and <laughs> Jamie Vardy coming on to the Ghostbusters soundtrack. But yeah, Jamie Vardy definitely sort of evergreen. It was a big win because you don't want to be going to the international break dropping points against Norwich and obviously that, that bad defeat against West Ham. It's going to take time for the new players to bed in at, at Leicester. But uh, yeah, I, I think the West Ham defeat was a, was a freak result. But yeah, great, great, great three points against Norwich.
1: And uh, Jonathan Daniel Fark, obviously Arsenal are bottom of the league. That saves Norwich the embarrassment of being bottom. But it's been a really, really difficult start for them. They haven't been able to get a point on the board. Tim Rapuki got himself a goal against Leicester, but it it wasn't enough. And he he almost kind of seems stuck between a a rock and a hard place in his decisions. He he doesn't want to make the mistakes of last time round, where he completely relies on the lads that got them up to keep them in the Premier League and and maybe make a bit of a fist of of pushing on into mid-table. And when you look at some of his decisions, players that have come in, Ben Gibson's an interesting one for me because back end of last season it was Andrew Omovamadeli who was starting at centre-back. He played right the way through pre-season but then he, Fark has kind of blinked when it's come to the business end of Premier League football and he's brought Ben Gibson in. Ben Gibson's not exactly covered himself in glory. Fark then goes back to the drawing board and, and looks to maybe try and change things around. He's He's got to strike this balance because he, he wants to remain loyal to the players that got them up but he was too loyal last time round and that cost them their Premier League place.
0: Yeah, it's not easy. Um, it's it's going to be difficult for Norwich this season, but they've got they've got a good manager. I, look, these fixtures haven't been easy to, for them. Obviously, started with Liverpool and and then City, so you know it's not great, is it? And then and then you know Leicester were one of the best five teams in the Premier League last last year, so it, it, you know it's kind of perhaps it's a bit of a relief to get those three games out of the way, take this international break, assess his squad, see what he's got. You know he's brought, like you say, he brought in new players. He's got options, and then attack the attack it after the international break when they come back, and just to say, right, the season starts now um, because you know they've they've got a chance of fighting for for survival. It's, it's not going to be easy, but they've they've got goals. They've got um, you know they've got a, a good system. Um, so yeah, I don't. I, I don't see if I think it's too early to, look, to to write them off I think they you know they'll, they'll get a good good go this year
1: Looking across to Villa Park Dave Aston Villa won Brentford won we talked about Norwich and the kind of disastrous start they've had Watford it's not been it's not been great but Thomas Frank and Brentford, he probably couldn't have asked for a much better start. Five points, obviously beating Arsenal on the opening day. He's really, really positive and as reductive as it might sound, when you're in a position of a newly promoted club, you're already getting the calculator out, working what you need to stay up. We know the whole 40-point magic mark is probably reduced now to about 37, 38. Five points on the board from the first three games, the team's full of confidence. He'll be, you know, getting his abacus out and looking and thinking if we can just kind of maintain this rate of results, we're going to be absolutely fine.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's usually one of the teams that I promoted uh, that seems to have this decent run. We've had Sheffield United in the past and Leeds United last season. And Brentford this season, uh, yesterday, they were really resilient and organised. Uh, and I thought they did well to, at the back, keeping Danny Ings out throughout the game, uh, unbeaten in three matches now. And I think, what are they? I think the are ninth in the table now. So mm. yeah, he definitely looking at it. He'll have the amount of points that he wants to get on the table to, to stay in the league. But yeah, it's just fantastic to, to see a team like Brentford do so well so early in the season.
1: Uh, Jonathan, Newcastle 2, Southampton 2 and the issues and the kind of controversy surrounding Steve Bruce has just rolled on from last season through the summer into this one and the fans are not going to take long to just remember, hold on a minute we don't really like Steve Bruce and start getting on his back. And this was a real kick in the teeth for him. Alan St. maximin scored after 92 minutes and then James Ward-Prowse banged in a penalty on 96. So they've just thrown away three points. St James's Park has gone absolutely ballistic. They think they've got three points in the bag and then they just throw it away. Um, and given the fact that Bruce doesn't have the easiest relationship with the fans, we know that it's not going to take much for them to start pushing. These types of results and just throwing away points is only going to make his job more difficult. Oh, it's
0: definitely, definitely. That was a bad one yesterday. I, I got I got home. Actually, I was at the city game the early kickoff. I got back just as all all the full time scores were coming in, and uh, Newcastle scored that goal two one. I thought, well, you know, that's a big big result. By the time I got on, you know, put the key in the door and turned the TV on, it was two two. And watching it on watching it on match today, the they just panicked. Absolute yeah. panic um, in the team, in the fans. Um, and you just can't you know it's just not good enough that um, you know obviously I'm just I, like you say it's going to be they're going to turn on Bruce quickly enough because he's, he's not a big enough name they wanted Benitez he, he left and uh, it just looks like troubles every season it looks like troubles brewing um, they've, they've survived it so far this looks worrying um, but then you know Sam maximum is, is a match winner if he, if he can get a couple of you know, if, if he can win a few games for them, he just might have enough but it's not a happy camp at all
1: uh, Looking ahead to the last two games Dave, West Ham 2, Crystal Palace 2, West Ham have been quite good, quite positive so far this season but Crystal Palace it's, it's difficult to get a handle on them, they've got two points from three games, back to back draws Connor Gallagher getting himself two goals his first two for the club after joining on loan from Chelsea and there is going to be a lot of attention on Vieira, and there's always this fascination within the Premier League of elite players coming back and how are they going to do. Obviously, there was Lampard at Chelsea, and, and there's going to be more in the seasons to come, and Vieira's got a huge amount of stock in the bank in terms of what he achieved as a player with, with Arsenal. But it's difficult to kind of gauge whether he is making an impact at Palace. Palace is a bit of a mess. 12 players left over the summer. Roy Hodgson, that was just this, this absolute guarantee of solidity despite the fact that they do seem to be digging in and scraping out a few points here and there, it doesn't look particularly exciting. And Vieira inevitably will probably still find himself on that list of managers that could be up for the sack before the end of the year.
2: Yeah, it's hard not to think that, and I don't think he's been very successful in his previous managerial roles. And I think before, uh, it was yesterday, I I don't think Palace had scored before the game. Uh, They were the better team in the second half. But they, they are so light with the 12 players that have left in the summer and what we've got now two, three days before they, sort of, they, can, they can bring anyone in. So you'd expect Vieira to be un, under pressure soon. But it's a stylistic thing, isn't it? When, it's, when so many players leave and you're not allowed to bring any, you're not really got to bring any players in. He's not got much to work with moving forward. So it'd be a hard season, I think, for Palace.
1: Uh, and moving on to the final game of the weekend Jonathan we've had some serious chat about the other nine games but we've left the worst till last Burnley won Leeds won I've just put in the notes here that this was an absolutely crap game and it was garbage this is the worst game that I've watched so far this season but as a little bit of a laugh because one of the interesting subplots to all this was Patrick Bamford's running war with Sean Dice Sean Dice has kind of called him out for being a bit soft when they worked together before and the story of his parents coming in to sign his contract and Dyche deliberately sent out Ben Mee and, and James Tarkowski to, to give Bamford a bit of a roughing up. And in a game that was wildly short on quality, two pinball goals, Patrick Bamford got the most pinball goal he managed in probably his whole career. And he had the biggest smile on his face. There was a great scene of him walking off at the end, just gave Sean dice a great, big, cheesy grin. And it is nice to see those uh, sorts of situations. Anyone that's always wanted to go back into their boss and just grin at them in their face will have taken a bit of heart from, from Patrick Bamford to... Today.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, perhaps he was—he refused to eat worms or something like that. I don't. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was—it was—it's good, good for him. Yeah, I mean, he's—he's he's, he's kind of proved everyone wrong from a couple of years ago. Obviously, he was at Chelsea, and, he, and, he had, and it was high hopes for him. But it's—he had a couple of chances, and it wasn't working. And yeah, he, he's found a home at Leeds, and um, I'm sure he enjoyed that. I'm sure that was one of the most enjoyable goals he's got since he's back in the Premier League.
1: Great stuff. Right, and before we rack up, wrap up even, we're going to have a final word on Ronaldo. Dave, we're going to go back to you. Obviously, he's on international duty with Portugal now, so he's probably not going to be arriving into Manchester until next weekend. If anyone's listening to the show and they're out and about in Manchester, where do you think they're most likely to spot Ronaldo? Manchester's going to be on Ronaldo watch. If you're trying to get a glimpse of him in Manchester, where's the best shout to find him?
2: Uh, he likes uh, Greg's vegetarian
1: pasta, so you'll probably see him in the Piccadilly <laughs> train station. Right, top tip, top tip, indeed. Obviously, there's loads of Greg's sponsorship. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. We've got no pastry sponsorship at all. So, Greg's, if you want to spot Ronaldo, Greg's is your best bet. And if you don't find him, you know where to come at our kid on Twitter. You can blame Dave for that one. Right, we're going to call it there for. We're going to call it there for the podcast. After we've talked pastry, we've talked football, we've talked worms, and we've talked Paddy Bamford. Dave, Jonathan, thanks so much. Cheers. Pleasure as always great stuff guys and thanks so much for listening don't forget click subscribe on this episode we have a brand new podcast right with you tomorrow morning jim marley nile the rest of the team will be back talking across some of the biggest talking points this weekend and also previewing a massive week of international action as the 2022 world cup qualifiers kick in in just a few days time we'll speak to you again very very soon
2: Football's social daily. Find more great sport at sport social.co.uk.
1: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? In my dentist's office.